0: Welcome everybody, it's Monday, coming off of a extremely exciting Sunday slate of action. We'll get into the game of the century of the week, of the year, everything else uh, with the Vikings and Bills, we'll get into that one first. Um, Crunching the numbers here, and just so you know, our podcast here, our little podcast, Unexpected Points podcast is now in the top quartile of the top quartile of football analytics podcast. So uh, props to us on that one here. I'm um, also repping, if anyone's watching on YouTube, my uh, pro football reference T-shirt here, which I got over the weekend, a couple of pro re- football reference T-shirts. The OG stats-based site been extremely important to me. Especially with all the historical information they have, I've uh, scraped many a stat of their website, whether allowed or not, or whether encouraged or not from them, uh, especially when I was putting together that quarterback goat series. So props to Sean Foreman and everyone else over there at Pro Football Reference. Still one of the best resources that I am checking constantly for data and information. But that's enough for the intro here. I know what you guys are here for. You're for the games. You're for the notes. You're for the... Analytics. You're here for the adjusted score, so let's get into all that stuff right now. And we will start again with the game of the century of the week: the Vikings taking down the Buffalo Bills. Second and ten. Allen steps up and throws an interception. Patrick Peterson, and in this heavyweight bout, the Vikings with the knockout blow. Yes, yes. Patrick Peterson intercepts Josh Allen in the end zone in overtime, which means zero points on that drive for the Bills, which means the field goal that the Vikings got in overtime holds up in this one. But that was just, you know, one of roughly a billion plays in this game that seemed like they were hugely important, hugely impactful. And um, that goes straight into the number of the week here for this game, the number of the game. And that is four here. That is the number of plays with at least a 40% win probability swing in this game. Four different plays, the win probability swung around more than. Forty percent. So let's go over which plays we're talking about here because I know we're probably all pretty familiar with all the big, huge plays that were going on at this point in time. But the biggest plays by win probability swing were fourth quarter, first and 10, Josh Allen fumbling it uh, at the one yard line, fumbling the exchange, the handoff there. That was at the time Buffalo had a win probability of 95% according to some pretty difficult win probability models to try to calculate all that stuff at the end of the game. It dropped to 19% after that Um, 19% is actually a little bit higher than I would have thought that it was um, because most people thought that the game was over. But as we saw, you know, Buffalo was able to secure that uh, field goal and get it go ahead to go to overtime here. Another play here, Kirk Cousins up the middle, no gain, official review, the play immediately preceding that where they did not score fourth and one on the goal line. At that point in time, the, the um, Vikings had about a 65% chance, 60, 65% chance before the play to win. And then it dropped to 5% after that. Uh, What other plays here? Another play here. Kirk Cousins actually a deep pass to Justin Jefferson for 24 yards on third and 10 in overtime, the huge third and 10 conversion in overtime. Believe it or not, that was about a 40% win probability drop there. And then, of course, at the very end of the game, the Bills had about a 45% win probability. Boom, goes straight down to zero when Gabe Davis makes, uh, I mean, when the pass to Gabe Davis is intercepted in the end zone by Patrick Peterson. And that doesn't even go over. The Justin Jefferson 4th and 18 conversion for 32 yards, which it, it it made a big difference. It made a big difference as far as win probability was concerned. It was very, very low because there's two minutes left, though, for the Vikings at that point. But it did not put them in a position to definitely take the lead as they eventually did in this one. So huge, huge swings back and forth, which, of course, makes it the game of the year. Let's get into the particulars here. The Bills were six-and-a-half-point favorites, so even though the Vikings were one defeat going into this game, six-and-a-half-point favorites, a pretty big favorite for the Bills. Even though they lost last week, they're still seen as being the best team in the NFL, according to the numbers. They might even still be seen as being the best team in the NFL, according to the numbers going forward. 46-and-a-half uh, total on this game. Minnesota wins 33-30 to 30 in overtime. The adjusted score, though, Buffalo. So this is one of the few, if not only, adjusted score for the week where it is pointing towards the team that lost this game. And the Vikings, you could say they have some sort of moxie this year. They have some sort of temperament that's pushing them forward. It's enabling them to win these games. They have the coaching from Kevin O'Connell, who I'm sure will be way up there in the coach of the year odds. You'll have all that stuff floating around. They've won you know, seven or eight straight one score games this is the fourth time this season they've been trailing with less than three minutes left in a game and then come back to win the game but the big factor you can probably point to is they getting a little bit lucky where they've been getting a little bit unlucky in the past now they're getting a little bit lucky hey not, not not bad for them you know not bad for them though so you had some you had some poor luck in the past, and then you got some better luck right now. You can rack up these wins. You'll take them. You get you closer and closer towards potentially winning the NFC and having a chance to make it to the Super Bowl. You know, why not go ahead and take that on this one? And what's interesting is the bills on in this game, and again, we're having some problems here with Josh Allen and the turnovers, but the bills in this game are about a 95th percentile for their success rate offensively for their EPA per play, offensively just a bunch of big plays did not go their way in this one, which ended up costing them the game. Ramifications on this one. Big time ramifications on this one. The Bills were sitting in the number one seed a week ago going into the playoffs. If it would start today, of course, we still got a decent amount of season left. Now they're down to sixth. So they fall from first to sixth. They are third in the AFC East. They are now behind the Dolphins, who sit at second place in the playoff hunt, and the Jets, who are fifth. So they're even below the Jets right now in their playoff seating. And on the flip side of it, for, for Minnesota, if you look at the change in probabilities here for what's happening this week, um Minnesota was already a 95% chance to make the playoffs, so it didn't really change. They go, you know, they're 98, 99% now. Um, They are 98% to win their division, which has gone up slightly. And if you look at their championship and Super Bowl odds, conference championship and Super Bowl odds, it's not bad. It's about 17% for the conference championship and 8% for the Super Bowl. Not a great team, I wouldn't say, this Vikings team. But now they're sitting at fourth in their Super Bowl odds, according to our numbers, behind Kansas City, who's now number one. So that's the big flip here. Uh, Buffalo is number two now behind Kansas City in their their Super Bowl odds and their conference championship odds. But the Vikings sit at fourth, so not too bad, behind Kansas City, Philly, Buffalo. They are next in line, uh, ahead of teams like the – Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Josh Allen. I don't know how much do we have to worry about this or not? The fumbled handoff thing was a little bit weird. We mentioned last week that Josh Allen was leading the NFL in turnover worthy plays. He had a couple more in this game, which ends up pushing him forward there. So not great, of course, as far as that's concerned, but I wouldn't get too, too upset, too up, too down for the Bills on this one. I think the loss is bad in that it affects all these things that we're talking about for potentially getting the buy in the playoffs in a stacked AFC. That is difficult. That is really the thing to worry about here. Are you worried about the fundamentals of the Bills' offense, things like that? No, I don't think so. Because, like I said, they were highly, highly successful in this game. I mean, Josh Allen had 330 passing yards. He was averaging 7.7 yards per attempt in this one. Even the running game for this one, um, Josh Allen, again, 84 yards rushing, 175 yards on the ground on all these different plays that were making there. I mean, a lot of those are scrambles. They're not exactly the best rushing team when it comes to their design runs. But, hey, good enough to get the job done on this one and their defense while their defense is probably showing some cracks here. I mean Minnesota was not that generally successful. You had the extremely long run from Dalvin Cook. You had a bunch of receptions from Justin Jefferson and don't get me wrong, Justin Jefferson's great. Maybe the best receiver in the NFL if you want to if you want to say that, but he had nine contested targets in this game. So out of the 15 targets that Justin Jefferson had, nine of them were contested, and he made seven catches in those contested catches. So those are plays generally, if you look by the numbers, the lowest probability for completions, the lowest probability for you know, run after a catch and how much you're going to add to a play after the fact, of course, is when the, the uh, target is contested. That's going to be the lowest thing on this one. So if you look just at contested targets in this game, um, Justin Jefferson had 162 receiving yards (laughs) on contested targets in this game. Nine catches, seven targets, 162 yards. I mean, that's just not going to happen a whole lot here. The Vikings had 175 total yards. So we sprinkle in some from Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson in contested receiving yards, whereas the Bills only had 50. You can't build an offense around contested catches. It can work for this game. Justin Jefferson is amazing. That fourth and 18 catch he had was the you know catch of the year easily by far. Don't get me wrong on any of this, but the fundamentals for how we're viewing this team like if you're going to go through power rankings or something like that you know i'm sure the the power ranking industrial complex here for all these different nfl media sites are going to flip around and they're going to have the vikings above the bills because of what we saw here but no let's not do that people let's definitely not do that at all the the bills are still better than the vikings despite what happened in this game All right. Now that we're done with the game of the century of the week, let's get to more chronological sort of order here. We'll go first over to Berlin, the first game ever in Berlin. And Tom Brady, the GOAT, comes through with the victory against the surprisingly strong and division-leading Seattle Seahawks. White swings in motion. Empty backfield. Brady looks. Brady looks. Brady looks back to his right. Chose to the left. It is caught. Touchdown, Tampa Bay! Rod Chris Godwin. Touchdown, Buccaneers. We lead twenty to three. Crowd roaring and Munich. Yeah, there you go, Gene Dickerhoff. I got the. I um, was able to find on Twitter the feed from the radio broadcaster. That's how you get the we. We lead. <laughs> I love these. I love the home. The homer announcers that say we for these games uh, just dispensing with any sort of idea that. This might be an impartial crew in this particular game. Uh, There's a lot of things to point to for why the Bucs won this, but I'm going to point to the number of the game being 0.2. And that was the run efficiency percentile in this game for the Seahawks. Kenneth Walker, 17 yards on 10 carries. They could not get anything going on the ground. And that's important because, while Geno Smith has been the story, of course, for this team, his success, his high grading, the fact that he's a top 10 guy in efficiency and his grading so far this year. You know, Kenneth Walker was like the 1B sort of story. He was definitely someone who was helping them salt away victories, uh, win games at the end. Didn't have it in this one. Did not have it in this one. The Bucks' defense, which had been struggling, which was in the bottom 10, of success rate against the run after being number one or number two in previous years, came back and played a lot better in in this one here. And when we have the particulars of this game, uh, Tampa Bay two and a half point favorites, they win 21, 16 in this game. The adjusted score is a bit higher for both teams, 31, 25 Tampa Bay, because of the high success rate these teams had, there were some missed field goals. There were some other plays that didn't, that didn't come through. Seattle, one for nine on third down. They did not convert a third down until three minutes left in the third quarter. That was very, very important in the results of this game, whereas the Bucs were 10 for 16 on third down, making a huge difference there. Uh, What else would you say about this game? Well, you had this also extremely strange Leonard Fournette tossing it up to, you know, you see TB12, you see him uh, one-on-one coverage against Tariq Woolen, the fantastic Tariq Woolen, the rookie of defensive player, rookie of the year candidate. You throw it up to him. That was a weird one there. Um, it was the, actually the biggest play in expected points shift, almost five points lost on that one. But their win probability was very, very high even at that point. It would have, you know, closed out the game for them. But it went from ninety-three percent win probability down to eighty-eight. So not the, no, not the biggest thing there. Uh, I don't think Gino played that poorly in this game, but it does hint to the fact of, yeah, you know, it's still Gino, right? He's playing at a much, much higher level than we've ever seen him play for at the past. But there probably are going to be some hiccups along the way. Uh, He had a 68.4 grade in this game, so not horrible. He had a turnover-worthy play. Of course, he had the fumble, which is the turnover-worthy play, which was the second most impactful uh, play of the game. And he also had the sacks. That's something that has been plaguing him a bit this year is the fact that he's taking some big sacks in big spots and big moments, three sacks, 31 yards lost in this particular game that ended up being very, very important. And on the flip side, when we talk about the struggles for Seattle rushing the ball, it was the opposite for Tampa Bay, a team that was bottom five in rushing efficiency and rushing success rate going into this one and this one. 44 carries for 161 yards. Not great as far as the average is concerned there. I mean, some of that – actually, I should wipe out some of this because it's some knees that Tom Brady was taking because uh, it has him down here for six carries for negative three yards. But still, a little bit over four yards a carry and able to convert very successfully. I think Chris Godwin looked like he was getting healthy. Of course, you had Mike Evans in there who was, who was playing well and looking good. You had the Rashad white Leonard fournette combination. That was finally working again. You had Julio Jones with a long touchdown on a semi-blown coverage there from Seattle. Uh, all those guys getting involved is going to be pretty huge for this team. That's why this is why you know I always saw them, the Bucks versus the. Rams and the Packers as being the team that's most likely to turn things around because they're able to get healthy on defense, play very, very well against a good offensive team, the Seahawks, and they have all these weapons that can get things going on offense. And Tom Brady, you know, 22 of 29 in this game, 258 yards, not a lot of pass attempts because they ran the ball so well, but 8.9 yards per attempt um, has an efficiency in the 85th percentile. So not bad at all for the Bucks in this particular game. Let's go ahead and take a look at where they stand now for the playoff picture, because I think that's probably one of the more important things that we're talking about in this game. And the Bucks, not huge movement on their playoff probability. It did go up 10%. So, you know, that's something. Uh, Their division, chance to win the division went up 10%. Also, again, continuing to secure these victories. Not a great record, but the Falcons were still hanging around a little bit on this one. And on the flip side of things, the Seattle Seahawks, still have about 70% chance to make the playoffs. They only went down slightly because they were uh, not favored in this game. But divisionally, with the 49ers winning, which of course we'll get to, they do fall 10% in their chance to win the division down to 34%. So they're going to have to hang, hang in there and win some games down the stretch here, or else the division will be out of, out of sorts for them, but they could probably still sneak in via the wild card in this game. All right, let's get to more of the morning slate here. I'm going to start with the rest of the morning slate. I know we already did the Minnesota Buffalo game, the game of the century. Uh, I'm going to start in Miami because I think the bills now second seed, I'm not the bills, the dolphins now second seed in the AFC Important to watch what's going on with Tua time. Tua end zone, caught Trent Sherfield touchdown. Tua with the dime to Trent Sherfield there. just perfectly thrown pass. <laughs> many, many, many the pass and the in feet. And it doesn't get games, any. Which is zero. better than that. What so a play. Zero is the number of punts that the Dolphins had in this game on all their drives. So they had five touchdowns. They had two field goals. They did have one turnover on downs, but even that turnover on downs was a failed fourth and one conversion where the the Dolphins had second and one, third and one, fourth and one, three straight running plays, and they failed – to convert on any of those three straight running plays. So, you know, not not exactly like that was even one that they were struggling and couldn't get the conversion on this one. Not the case at all. It was one where they were able to move the ball consistently, effectively on the ground, through the air, everything that they wanted to do in this game. Um, Miami was a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Very, uh, wrong on my part being a little bit high on the Browns' chances to actually win this game or at least come close in this game. 49 and a half point favorite, which is a pretty high total in the year 2022 with so many teams struggling, and that just goes to show how much this Browns defense in particular has been struggling. And they showed all that in this game. 39 17 Miami just to score. 36-23, nothing out of the ordinary between the adjusted score and what the actual score was on this one. And let's get to two a time. So he had that pass to Sherfield that we talked about for the touchdown, and his overall numbers in this game are he had a 92.5 passing grade, best passing grade of the week, 25 of 32, Zero sacks, zero scrambles. So he's just like efficiently executing the offense. Three big time throws, three touchdowns, no turn-worthy plays, no drops in this offense, too, which I think works towards his advantage. 8.9 yards per attempt in this one. And if you look at what he's doing, what's really amazing about this, like again, I mentioned the no sacks. Um 2.3 average time to throw seconds. 2.3 seconds. He's 2.4 on the season. Yet his A-dot on the season is the same. Well, okay, let me just step back for a second. So his time to throw, his average time to throw is the same exact thing. 2.4 last year, 2.4 this year. His average depth of target has jumped by over two yards. So that's Tyreek Hill, of course. That's the way the offense is working. That's the offensive line playing much, much better, uh, giving him time to throw. He has the second lowest sack rate in the NFL behind Justin Herbert, uh, a little bit higher than Justin Herbert, but right there in the NFL. But it's just executing this offense to perfection. And then we go, of course, to the rushing game. And Jeff Wilson Jr. acquired for a fifth-round pick, 119 yards on 17 carries and a touchdown. Raheem Mostert, 65 yards on eight carries. You know, when your two top running backs are averaging seven, eight yards per carry, That's going to be pretty, pretty good there. I mean, Nick Chubb had a decent game here, 63 yards on 11 carries, didn't get enough carries, uh, had a touchdown on there, had a long touchdown, but just not enough sustainability for the Browns offense. But the reality is, again, Dolphins offense never punts. You're not going to win many games when your opponent is never punting the entire time and only fails on a very fourth and inches type of play is the only failure. You're just not going to win. Just not going to win many games. Uh, you'll hear from the Browns news right now. You're going to hear that Deshaun Watson is back. He's practicing. He's going to start practicing today for the team. He's not eligible to come back until week 13. So the Browns playoff chances, according to our numbers right now, uh, is at 8%. Not so good. Um, Can they hold on at all here? They're three and six, right? Um, can they hold on coming off of a buy here? So you're hoping you can get this victory. They're three and six now. And before Watson gets back, they have the Bills and the Bucks. It's going to be tough not to be at best four and seven with Watson coming back. Um, And then you kind of just have to win out to make the playoffs in that scenario. Uh, Very possible, you know, they're three and eight with Watson coming back. And then you're kind of just out of the playoffs. So the, with Jacoby Brissett and this defense, which is not doing so hot, um, the Browns are going to need to win one of these games against the Bills or the Bucks to really have a chance now to step forward and to make it into the playoffs. Miami, on the other hand, up to 90% chance to make the playoffs for us, 33% chance to win the division, which we have still slightly lower than the Bills. I know as of right now, they're above the Bills in their actual standing here, but we still have them as slightly lower just because of the team strength angle here and because of the fact that going forward, the Bills have a pretty easy schedule, 23rd most difficult schedule, so a bottom 10 uh, strength of schedule going forward, whereas the Dolphins have the 8th hardest strength of schedule, which is going to be difficult for them. And MVP watch, Patrick Mahomes, number one in the MVP odds, according to DraftKings, at plus 150, Jalen Hurts and Tua. So now Tua's tied with Jalen Hurts at plus 400. Josh Allen falls to fourth, plus 600. And then there are some other guys who were in the mix. You know, Lamar Jackson, plus 1,400. Joe Burrow, 25 to 1. Kirk Cousins, 30 to 1. Geno, 40 to 1. But it's basically those four guys that are in the mix right now. Tua moving all the way up, despite missing all these games. Uh, tied with Jalen Hurts right now. So I guess if he hadn't missed those games and maybe they pulled off a victory or two, maybe he'd be even higher in the MVP standings right now. Just keeps on going for Tua. We'll see how many capitulators there are on Tua. And speaking of capitulators on Tua, I'm going to talk to um, Steve Ruiz tomorrow, which will probably come out Wednesday morning, to talk quarterbacks, everything else. He's been getting pillared by Tua and on and everyone in Dolphins Twitter for weeks now because he refuses to move Tua too far up. I mean, he's moved him up, but I don't think he has him in the top 10 or anything like that right now. Um, The results keep on coming in, so I'll question him on that. I'll I'll get him to and on. I will pin him down and make him submit that uh, Tua is maybe not just a game manager, uh, low upside type of quarterback. All right, let's get to the next game in the morning here. We'll go to Kansas City. We'll go to the MVP favorite, Patrick Mahomes, facing the Jacksonville Jaguars, our Jaguars, if I've dubbed them, for their analytical prowess. They kind of messed up on some some analytic stuff here. They did have an onside kick, though, to start the game. Didn't matter. Still end up losing in Kansas City. Here's a first and 10. to going in zone. And it's a touchdown. It's Noah Gray. Now, you talked last week. The big one. In- yeah, yeah. Noah Gray getting into the action here for the Kansas City Chiefs. And again, they, they win this game 27 to 17. So you look at it an optically 10 point victory, not a huge win. They were nine and a half point favorites. But that goes to the number of the game, which gives even more context here is three. So the Jaguars were plus three in the turnover. Category in this game, two fumbles for the Chiefs and an interception. The interception was kind of late on, so it didn't really affect the outcome that much, but it did affect, again, the optics of what the score is for the Chiefs. And they recovered this onside kick at the beginning of the game. Didn't matter. They were basically plus four, you could say, in the turnover department. If you count that onside kick recovery as a turnover, yeah, you know, still could not win this game. Struggling, struggling offensively. And that's probably going to be the story again is that Trevor Lawrence and that offense can't quite get going at the level that you would want to see them for them to be a real playoff contender this season. Uh, Kansas city was a nine and a half point favorite. So they scraped by for betters on this one, 27 17 that goes way under on this one, only hitting 44 points on a 51 and a half total justice to score 33, 19 Kansas city. So even wider, much wider than Well, not much wider, but a little bit wider than what the actual score was in here. There was a pretty dominant performance for them in this game. Scary concussion there for Juju Smith-Schuster, which we'll see what ends up happening for how they open up the offense. But I'm not taking L's already, but, you know, I was a little bit more skeptical of the Kadarius-Tony pickup for Kansas City. Well, skeptical of how, whether he would be worth it, at least in the longer term, but Hey, he stepped in here, you know, got to give credit where credit is due here. He didn't run a ton of routes. He ran 17 of 40 routes in this game, but if you think about it on a per route basis and that's, he's kind of like your per route guy. He's always the per route guy. He doesn't get a lot of routes, but he's on a per route basis. He always looks really, really good. 3.5 yards per route run, um, five targets, on 17 routes, four catches for 57 yards, including a touchdown where he did hopping into the sideline. He had another double move where it could have been down the field a little bit more. So that would have been interesting uh, because he kind of plays near the line of scrimmage. He had a 6.8 A dot in this game, but it was really the one long pass and then a bunch of shorter passes for him. So he looks like he's going to contribute. Um, he kind of helped fill in and take some of those snaps. But you still had Justin Watson taking a lot of snaps coming in for... Juju Smith-Schuster. So I don't know exactly how involved Kadarius Tony is going to be going forward, but second highest rated receiver, well highest rated wide receiver for the Chiefs in this game, uh, only below Travis Kelsey as far as his rating here. I mean, great game for Mahomes just spreading out the ball: 60 yards to MVS, 33 yards to Juju before he went down, 20 yards to Noah Gray, and that touchdown that I highlighted, 81 yards to Kelsey. 57 yards to Kadarius Tony, 56 yards to Jarek McKinnon. Just really using all of those different weapons in the offense, and then running the ball. Uh, Pacheco he had the he had the uh, Pacheco had the uh, fumble, but 5.1 yards per carry. He's kind of seven, you know, 16 attempts, 82 yards, looking really, really good there. Kadarius Tony had a couple couple of rushing attempts for 33 yards, so another way that he's getting involved in the offense there. 155 yards rushing with Mahomes, having some key scrambles, five scrambles uh, for him in this game, picking up a couple of first downs. One of the best scramblers, obviously, out there in the NFL. Let's get to Lawrence. You know, Lawrence graded pretty well in this game. I don't know. I don't know, man, because I just don't understand how you could go 20, 29, for 40 which is okay you know it's been making almost two-thirds of your receptions 259 yards only 6.5 yards per attempt but he did have three big time throws and no turn of worthy plays um, five sacks now that's another one where you know the grading does not hit these guys nearly as hard on the sacks as something like expected points added does so he's getting almost an 85 grade in this game despite the fact that he's taking five sacks. Whereas if you're going to look at his efficiency for this week, like where does it step up versus what we've seen him do earlier this season? Well, an EPA per play is flat. So it was basically not a positive game, not a negative game, but right in the middle for what he has done this season, a little bit of a negative game in EPA because he lost almost seven expected points. Uh, taking sacks in this game, which nets out all that he was doing positively there. Maybe the the defense was just really, really good, and that's why we haven't graded well, because he needed to have these big-time throws. But I also think it's part of our grading, you know, giving a little too much to the big-time throw, not taking away enough for the sacks. Jags, what are we going to do with the Jags now? So in our power ranking-based playoff calculation, Jags all the way down to 5% chance to make the playoffs they're at three and seven now it's really just trying to build for next season at this point they're going to have a bye this week you know try to get everything in order let's build let's try to build this passing game because it wasn't that bad you know christian kirk got involved some other guys got involved they'll have the bye they'll come out of that they'll have the ravens which would be a good test at home lions titans cowboys jets texans titans to end the season so definitely some winnable games there Basically no chance to get into the playoffs, but uh, building towards hopefully getting that leap next year for the Jaguars. That's what they're playing for It's the 2023 leap at this point, getting in position to potentially do that next season. I mentioned most of the Chiefs stuff before um, as far as their they, the, they now have a 95% chance to win the division with the Chargers losing. 30% chance to make the Super Bowl, 17% chance to win the Super Bowl, right up there with anyone in the NFL. And our strength ratings, Buffalo was kind of in a tier by itself. Now it's really Buffalo and Kansas City are in the same tier here for being the strongest teams in the NFL based upon the results of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. All right, let's go to Chicago where. Justin Fields is a story coming out of this one, the big story coming out of this one. Yet the Detroit Lions are able to come away with the victory, finally sacking Justin Fields and getting him down on the ground. So he couldn't escape at the end of the game. Back and bite him. Up the middle. In for the touchdown is Jamal Williams. His ninth rushing touchdown of the year. And the Lions are an extra point away from taking the late lead. Yes, yes. The Lions were down multiple scores here late in the game. We had the pick six from Jeffrey Okuda, a little Buckeye on Buckeye violence there that they end up scoring with. They get the ball back. They drive down the field. They're able to score the touchdown and kick the extra point to win by a single point in this game. Uh, We all saw the big plays from Justin Fields, but I think this hints towards what is the... The number of the game for me, and you know nobody's going to want to to focus on this, but eleven is the number of the game, and that's because Jared Goff, good old Jared Goff, Jared Goof, is some of you guys like to like to disparage him with, Jared Goff, eleven more expected points added in this game than Justin Fields. Justin Fields had the huge run. Justin Fields had some good passing touchdowns. Uh, he made an escape at the goal line, also on a play on third and goal from the one yard line to score a touchdown. Had all the highlights here but quietly quietly Jared Goff, you know, making some plays. Maybe the maybe the Bears have the worst now have the worst passing defense in the NFL after losing uh Roquan Smith or trading away Roquan Smith, not getting a pass rush anymore number no more uh, Robert Quinn there, but hey, we're going to kill Goff when he stinks. Let's give him some credit when he's doing well because he averaged, you know, 9.1 yards per attempt in this game. Didn't throw a lot of passes, only 26 attempts for him. But that's a very very healthy number. No interceptions, two sacks but they were not very damaging sacks for Goff. And rushing was a little bit more of the key here, of course. Um but only 95 yards rushing for for the Lions in this one. 258 yards rushing for the Bears. Monster, monster number, 147 from fields this week after having, you know, 170 the week before. Let's get to the the numbers here. The Bears were three-point favorites in this one. They lose by a point, as I mentioned. The adjusted score has the Lions better, 28-24. And I just think that The question is going to be, here's the big picture thing. I don't want to focus too much on like the details of this game, but the big picture thing, I think this is going to be the discussion around Justin Fields. I mentioned this a little bit last week when he had the huge rushing numbers, but he had 4.4 yards per attempt. This week, better, 8.3 yards per attempt. Um, Yet he had the three sacks in this one. Even the touchdown that he scored near the goal line, he was about to get sacked. He probably could have got the ball out quickly to Mooney. There was, there's a nice switch for the defensive back. So maybe he saw the switch. He didn't throw it out to Mooney. I still think he should have gotten it out there to Mooney really quickly, maybe set up a touchdown or at least get really, really close and then have a chance to go for it on fourth down rather than risk taking a backbreaking sack there. Now he was able to fight everyone off, get into the end zone, make that exciting play. Everyone goes, you know, absolutely nuts watching this and looking at, at what had happened. You know, what's the sustainability of this type of play is the question, right? That's going to be the question for Fields in this one. You know, he had a fumble, which he did not lose. Um, that could have been a little bit more troubling for him in this game. You know, what is the sustainability of ripping off 60-yard runs every week and shaking off all these tacklers and scoring on the goal line, where he also had to run through two people on the goal line? I mean, he's a big dude, but I do think there might be some concerns about his durability, too, with the style of play as he continues to to, to do so going forward. But again, I don't want to take away too much, but I want to just lean a little bit against the narrative for like what type of breakout we're seeing from him this season. Definitely impressive off the charts in comparison to what we were seeing from him before at the same time. You know, three sacks in this game, multiple other ones that he could have taken sacks where he shook them off in this game. Still maybe isn't the most sustainable passer, NFL level passer in this game. And we want to see more of that going forward because the Lions defense, you know, Lions defense ain't ain't that hard to beat either. Um, So excited. I think everyone's excited about what's going on with fields. Just a little caveat to throw in there for what we're going on. Uh, Going forward, not really any playoff ramifications in this game. Both of these teams are about are under 10% chance to make the playoffs. Bears are like one, 2% at this point after losing a few in a row, despite fields breakout defensively. But again, setting things up. This is a 2023 type of situation for the bears. Same thing that we saw with the Jaguars 2023. That's what we're building for. That's what we're seeing from fields. I want to see a little bit more in the passing game though for him and not get himself injured also uh, down the stretch here. I love the big plays, but let's not get injured. Justin Fields. We want to see more of this in the future. Maybe we don't need 150 rushing yards every game. Maybe you can go for like 70, 80 (laughs) every game or something like that and add a little bit more uh, for what we're going to see passing the ball. All right, before we get to the rest of the morning slate and then we'll go through the afternoon and all that stuff, let's pay some bills here. If you want to, Put a little action on these games. DraftKings is your place. The official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can make any $5 bet. Get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Plus, stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your winnings with DraftKings. One of those you can play every game day, all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a five dollar bet on any football game. Only a DraftKings sportsbook. Using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And Western and Southern is the is a sponsor, not the sponsor, a sponsor of the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster move, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's move on through the morning here. Let's go to, yeah, It's not a lot going on in the morning here, but let's go to Pittsburgh against the Saints. A dominant performance by the Pittsburgh defense. Kenny Pickett gets a win here. The Steelers get T.J. Watt back. A lot of positive vibes probably in Pittsburgh here. Can they make the playoffs? I don't know. We'll see. Dalton takes a deep shot. Looking for White. And it's taken away. Picked up by Levi Wallace. Yes, great defensive performance by the Steelers defense. That brings us to our number of the game, which is six. So the Saints offensive success rate was in the sixth percentile. Not good. Not good at all in this game. The Steelers win 2010. They were one point favorites. I think I had this as a, as a play this week. So at least I'm I'm making some stuff here. They win 2010. Adjusted score 25-14. So pretty close to what we saw in the score here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these games when we have two teams who now have less than a 10% chance of making the playoffs facing off against each other but this is pretty much Forgum time i think for the saints with the bucks victory and everything else that's going on here I and mean, we still have them with the five percent chance to win the division so one out of 20 times one out of 20 seasons you you play out everything that still has to go and maybe they can end up winning the division and getting into it, but it's looking pretty low for a team that's continually going all in. Question might be, you know, do we see Jameis again? I mean, two picks for Dalton in this one. We only had him graded for one of those being a turnover-worthy play. 6.4 yards per attempt. 17 of 27 for 174 yards in a game you were trailing most of the time. Not great. Uh, Couldn't rush the ball either. 29 yards on 15 carries for the Saints. Really, really not good for them. On the flip side, a Steelers team that hadn't been able to run the ball much at all, 217 rushing yards for them. 99 for Najee Harris on 20 carries. 5.0 yards per carry. An almost unreachable number, it seemed like, for him. He also had Kenny Pickett getting into the action here. 51 rushing yards. Uh, four design runs and four scrambles on this one. So it wasn't just scrambling, using his legs a bit there too, which I think is important. And as far as how he performed in the passing game, I mean, he had a 67 grade. It wasn't a great game for him. I think the key is no turnover-worthy plays when you have a quarterback who may be a little bit limited on his upside. Preventing the turnover-worthy plays is important, but he did have six sacks. So way too many sacks there. When he's scrambling around, he's moving around a lot. That's normally against another offense that could produce against your defense is normally not something you're going to want to see there. Um, What's interesting is T.J. Watt coming back didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, he was in there for 24 of 31 pass rush snaps, two pressures for him on there. Uh, Alex Highsmith had two sacks and four pressures, but they actually didn't get that much pressure on Dalton. I mean, he's a hard guy to get pressure on because he gets rid of the ball so quickly, but it was more on the back end. Uh, the coverage that was doing the work there, the interception from Levi Wallace, who also scored a touchdown in this game. Uh, Cam Sutton played well here. Uh, it graded pretty well here. Terrell Edmonds graded pretty well here. So just generally a pretty good defensive end on the back end for the Steelers. But I don't know where this franchise sits going forward, honestly. They're just in a weird spot. Like how confident are you in Kenny Pickett? How confident are you in the defense, you know, getting up to that maybe top five ish sort of level again, which is probably what you need to be successful with this team. You have, you know, Najee Harris and you have the wide receivers, but can they actually leverage those guys to get big plays out of them? Uh, Even if George Pickens or someone like that takes a step forward in the future, can he get a little bit better blocking in the offensive line? They're going to need to rebuild that just a lot of questions for a Steelers franchise that is used to being year in year out in the playoffs. Now we're seeing this year, they're more likely than not they're out. They're out of the playoffs and they're in this in between purgatory type of situation with not going for the full rebuild, which they could have gone for more in this season. Uh, Maybe even passed on drafting a quarterback and set themselves up to draft someone next season, but they didn't do that. They wanted to compete. They want to get into the playoffs. And now they're in a kind of a sticky spot going forward. The saints, you know, the saints need to blow it up probably eventually, but they're just holding on forever to not do so. Um, they had some excuse this year with how bad the NFC South was and the ability to maybe get into the mix there. but That's looking very, very unlikely now for them at this point. All right, let's continue on in the morning. And, Hey, you win games. You win games, and uh, the Giants are winning games, even if it is against the Houston Texans. Rush coming, forced to throw, coming back for it, breaking a tackle. Slayton catch and run down the sideline. Slayton twirling, touchdown. Huge, huge Darius touchdown Slayton there. goes the distance, for Darius fifty-four Slayton. yards. 64 yards, as Ian Eagle tells us. Ian Eagle, low-key, I think, the best announcer in the game. I think he's going to take over for, um, for Jim Nance, whenever Jim Nance you know, steps down. I heard that he's going to take over for golf already. Um, maybe the NFL, eventually, too, although it's hard to turn down those checks, those paychecks, I assume, for Jim Nance right now. But Ian Eagle, my favorite guy in the game. On this game... Uh, You know, the second, he's in the number two uh, crew for CBS on this game because, hey, it's the New York Giants, New York football Giants. Everyone wants to see uh, what the Giants are going to do. Again, it wasn't pretty. Daniel Jones, fewer than 200 passing yards, did average 11.6 yards per attempt, largely because of that one huge play from Darius Slayton. It was really the running game, what we saw here. Saquon Barkley, 152 yards on 35 carries, just over and over and over again, pounding it, um, pounding the ball there with the running game. And for the Texans, they were actually running the ball pretty well themselves, 94 yards on 17 carries for Damian Pierce, but he had a killer fumble inside the 10-yard line, which, you know, it was, maybe it was inside the 20. I don't think it was inside the 10, but inside the 20-yard line, which sealed it for them. Uh, the Texans, you know, you're just marching in, you're, you're you're just positioning yourself. You're marching in. You're hoping to get that number one pick. Again, we have Detroit winning games, back to back games, putting them a little bit higher up there. Um, and let's go ahead and look at the 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 race to the bottom here. So the Texans one seven and one Raiders <laughs> Raiders two and seven. We haven't gotten to them yet. The results today, but man, the Raiders are like in it for potentially getting the number one pick. I mean, they they might move on from Carr anyway. But wow, they really look like they're going to be in a situation to get a big time quarterback after this season. At two and seven right now, Jags three and seven. I know the Jags said they just love number one picks. I guess they're getting pretty close here. And then so the Jags are three and seven. The Bears, the Saints, and the Panthers are all three and seven. Those teams, you know, winning games when probably they shouldn't be winning games. Um, so they're all kind of in the mix too. But it's really the Texans who are in the driver's seat here uh, going forward for them as uh, to get that number one pick and probably m- move on from Davis mills. It's interesting. They gave him the chance this year, but Hey, he's just not going to be able to, to do it. The giants on the other hand, they are fifth. They, if the playoff started today, they would be fifth. They move up a spot seven and two um, they're fifth in the, They're fifth, they're behind the Bucs because the Bucs are, and the Seahawks. They have better records than the Bucs and the Seahawks, but they would still be fifth in the seeding because those guys would be the division champs and the Giants are behind the Eagles. But, you know, one and a half games behind the Eagles right now. If the Eagles lose tonight, which is unlikely, but if they lose tonight against Washington, Giants are in the mix. Giants are in the mix to potentially win the division But not exactly like an impressive game here. They've had the second easiest schedule year to date. They're going to have the 10th hardest schedule going forward. So they're going to have a little bit of difficulty there. But hey, 85, 90% chance for them to make the playoffs in this one. And good to see Saquon Barkley continuing to play well, play strong in this game. Not a whole lot else, though. Honestly, to say about this one, let's... You know, throw up the number of the game here, 19.5. That was the pass rate under expectation for the Giants. Again, they just didn't, you know, didn't need to pass the ball, didn't pass the ball. Uh, 34.3 drop back rate in this game. We're not challenged at all. Uh, They win 24-16. So eight point victory seemed bigger than that, though, in some ways. They cover, which I think I had them. Also is one of my picks, so props to me. Forty one point five total on this one. Pretty ugly total. Adjusted score twenty four eighteen. So pretty well aligned with what the actual score was in this game. All right, let's close off the morning slate. Let's 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 get out of here. Let's you know bathe ourselves after these last couple of games here. And there's one game that's gonna leave a, a really bad taste in the mouth of all. Broncos fans here. Broncos Country Let's Ride is in disarray after this one. Again, uh, Russell Wilson cannot come up with the plays when they need it, and the Denver Broncos end up losing in Tennessee. Fourth and eight. Wilson throws on the run, and it is intercepted by Terrence Mitchell. He takes a knee, and that will do it. Yes, that one will do it. They had some chance there, I guess, at the end. It's kind of shocking that they had a chance there at the end of the game, despite playing so poorly in this one. And I don't know, man. I don't know what to do with Russell Wilson and how we view him as a quarterback. Uh, I'm going to put him up here. He'll be he'll be our part of our number of the game, five. And that's the yards per drop back for Russell Wilson in this game. He had 286 yards passing. So, you know, optically, you might think, oh, he did okay. That's a good game for him. But 42 attempts. So, a lot of attempts there, not being efficient, plus six sacks for 38 yards in this game, which really kills drives. He's the sack master his entire career. He's in the top five for expected points lost this season, taking sacks. And it's just you know, he's giving you like the downside of what he had done in the past, the sacks, you know, not seeing the ball well over the middle of the, not seeing well over the middle of the field, making those sort of plays there. Um, and it just not giving you the big upside plays, whether it's the scrambles or the long passes, you're just not getting that side of things from Russell Wilson. I mean, we had him graded at a 47 passing grade in this game, three turnover worthy plays and, and, it's just been such a huge fall. Like, is this it for Russell Wilson? After that contract is being signed? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I still think there's a chance that he comes back, but let's look at the last three years. Are we talk about a precipitous fall for any particular player? Let's look at a passing grade for Russell Wilson in the last three years. 2020. And this is a game, remember 2020, the second half of the season, he stunk. In the first half of the season, he was really, really good. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's go all the way back to 2019. For Russell Wilson, looking at his stats. So let's go all the way back to 2019. 2019, 90.8 passing grade. Top grade in the NFL. 2020, down slightly, 88.6. But again, what's masked as part of that is he was well above 90 in the first half of the season. uh, Under 80 in the second half of the season. 2021, last year, 70.7 passing grade. And this season... 58.3. I mean, that's bad, bad. He is down near the bottom in efficiency, the bottom in passing. And each week, I keep on saying to myself, oh, you know, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He was number one in you know, passing grade just a few years ago, he's getting older at 33, but he's not, you know, ancient or anything. He's nowhere close to as old as a lot of these other quarterbacks. It might affect his scrambling. And I know that's been something to look at, but you look at guys like Doug Flutie, who scrambled really well later on in his career, kind of maintained that. Go all the way back to Fran Tarkenton. He did really well with that sort of playing style. There have been other guys, smaller quarterbacks who still maintained, uh, being able to scramble and be effective there. So like, would it be that much worse for Russell Wilson than some of these other guys? I don't know, but hmm, I don't know. We're almost getting a capitulation point on here where I've still been viewing him as someone we should expect eventually top half sort of quarterback performance from, but maybe it is just broken. And maybe there's only a reset at the end of the season that can put him back into position to recapture you know, the top 10 ish sort of quarterback performance, or maybe even a reset at the end of the season is not going to be enough. And this is just a total meltdown for this Denver Broncos franchise, which is now under the weight of that new contract that they signed there. Um, particulars for the game, Tennessee, two and a half point favorites. They win 1710. Again, not exactly impressive on the offensive side of the ball, Adjusted just to score 22-17, so a little bit higher for both teams. Tennessee. Um, Tannehill didn't really do much in this game, although he was back at least, which gives him a chance, I guess, for victory. He did. He also had two turnover-worthy plays in this. 255 yards passing, 19 of 36. He had some, they had some trickery and a flea flicker, which ended up getting a big catch to uh, Nick Westbrook-Akine. And, you know, their, their receiver core is still just a mess. They got Traylon Burks back. He actually ran 29 of 38 routes. Could end up doing something in fantasy going forward. Let's hope, but they just don't pass the ball a lot on this team. Six targets, three catches, 24 yards. Westbrook Akine, 119 yards, really the only one doing anything. And yeah, other than that, not a lot going on here for the Titans. Jerry Judy went down with, I guess they're hoping it's a low ankle Sprain very early in this game. I think it was his first target that he went down on. Uh, he only ran one route, it says here. So yeah, it must have been the first play of the game. We'll see if he's out going forward. Now that no one else was doing a whole lot here. Jalen Virgil with a big touchdown catch on a blown coverage there. And if that's really kind of the only way that they're generating some offense, is by getting some of these blown coverages. And then in the running game, they're not really running the ball too effectively either. Although the Titans defense have been playing a lot better. So we got to give them some credit as far as that's concerned. And the Titans, you know, not playing well, but 95% chance to make the playoffs, 90% chance to win the division now with all the struggles that are going on with the rest of the AFC South. Maybe the Colts can get something together there, but not a lot of competition there. And the Titans are looking pretty good on just, you know, stay healthy, get things together, get Traylon Burks a little bit more involved, make sure Derrick Henry doesn't get injured. And you're just going for the playoffs at this point, if you're Tennessee. All right, let's go to the big game of the afternoon. Um Dallas Green Bay where the Packers come away with the victory at home. On the fake, Rodgers play. Trifecta. Yes, he's got the trifecta, they're about to say there. Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson on the call. The uh, the number one Fox team, now that Aikman and uh, Buck have flown over to ESPN and Monday Night Football. Two marquee franchises, two brand names, Packers mightily struggling, though, going into this one. They end up winning in overtime, and I highlighted Christian Watson on this one because... He had three touchdowns, four catches for 107 yards. He had some ugly stuff going on, especially early in this game, some head scratching stuff, some drops, two drops in this game. Another one where it was just an absolute dime that Aaron Rodgers threw down the sideline and Watson seemed like he wasn't even paying attention. Until the last second he looks up and it hits him in the hands, right, right what would have been a touchdown. And then you had the obligatory Aaron Rodgers reaction shot where he's looking around like, what the hell? What the hell am I doing? why, why do I have to deal with this? But he eventually ended up, you know, he's explosive player. Maybe he can get things together. Maybe he's just a little bit, you know, immature needs a little bit more seasoning. Romeo Dobbs is out. They're going to need something. Alan Zard's not going to, not that guy. You're not that guy. You know, he's, he's not going to make it forward. Sammy Watkins is not going to be that guy. They're going to need something from somebody. So maybe Watson could be the guy to start to get it going in this game. Uh, another good game from Aaron Rodgers. So at least Rodgers has been grading well in a handful of games here. I know he hasn't had the most efficiency necessarily, but uh, only threw the ball 20 times in this game, but 11 yards per attempt, a couple of big time throws in this one, three touchdowns, no interceptions, took a couple sacks, but nothing that, that big. And that kind of leads us into the number of the game on this one for what I think is important for the Packers going forward. And that was... and that's the pass blocking grade for the Packers in this game is the best of the season for them and they were facing the highest graded pass rush in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys so they had their best pass blocking grade against the highest level of competition that's good for them uh Elgin Jenkins had it was rough for him he gave up three pressures he gave up a sack might have given up both sacks actually um, on that one, but the rest of the line coming together, Bakhtiari starting to look better, starting to gel. This has been like a perennial top five ish sort of offensive line, which has really helped Rodgers and the way that he likes to play. If they can get back to that. Maybe they got a good chance of being able to turn some things around in this one. Um, the particulars Dallas was a three and a half point favorite on the road against green Bay green Bay wins by three points, 31, 28, the adjusted score, 26-24 Green Bay. I mean, it did go to overtime, so that gives them a little bit of a boost as far as their actual score versus the adjusted scores in this one. Um, more numbers. Let's look at the Cowboys side of things. I mean, Prescott was okay, but two interceptions, only one turnover worthy play. So a little bit unlucky there. 5.8 yards per attempt. Not enough juice in the passing game there um cd lamb 150 yards receiving though so he had a big 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 game there but just no one else was there i mean 265 total passing yards 150 the cd lamb only 35 for gallup 54 for dalton schultz 13 for tony pollard no one else really contributed anything so they need a little bit more contribution outside of cd lamb that was one of the weaknesses and the fragility of this team was that they weren't necessarily going to have that And Tony Pollard came to play. I mean, 114 yards on 22 carries still wasn't enough. Still wasn't enough to win this when the Packers offense was so, so dominant. The 200 yards rushing 131 for Aaron Jones and another 65 for AJ Dillon, both of them over five yards per carry that will get it done and something that the Packers, you know, that's just going to be their formula. Going forward, even if they have to squeak out victories because their defense is not playing as well as you would like defense is still not coming around here. Uh, Maybe there's even a pass interference could have been called on Jair Alexander, which would have been uh, which would have caused them to lose this game. So they're going to need to ball control and have Aaron Rodgers play efficient efficiently. I don't know. I'm still pretty down on the Packers chances going forward, but at least they got a chance here. I mean, we have about a 25 percent chance to make the playoffs. It's gone up quite a bit. The division is obviously out of reach at this point, with the Vikings continuing to win. But maybe, maybe they can sneak in in one of these last wild card spots. They're not that far out, um, believe it or not. If you have the ranking, you know top seven teams, top seven seeds get in to the playoffs. They're at ninth right now. At four and six, they're at ninth. They're behind the Commanders who are four and five. So they're really going to be competing with either the giants, the Cowboys, 49ers or the Seahawks, one of those sorts of teams. So the 49ers are five and four and the rest of the teams have six victories. I don't know. I mean, I think the 49ers are just probably just a way better team at this point, but the Packers have some chance. They have some chance of being able to get in. Um, Let's look at their schedule going forward, because I think that's really going to determine whether or not they can get in. And they have the Titans, so that's very winnable. The Eagles, that'll be a test at the Eagles. At the Bears, the Bears are, you know, been a little sneaky okay here. A very late buy for them, a week 14 buy for the Packers. Then the Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, Lions. Yeah, there's some winnable games in there, especially with the Rams falling apart definitely some winnable games for them. So they have a chance going forward over to what's going on with the Cowboys. Of course, had that great stretch with Cooper rush Um, able to win games before this, they put themselves in a pretty good position. There's still 90% chance to make the playoffs, even though they're probably not going to win the division at this point, even at six and two, unless the Eagles fall apart going forward. But, not not the worst loss for them, I think. Just got to tighten things up a little bit defensively, on the back end at least, uh, against the run. Because that could end up being a vulnerability. And we're talking about the Eagles, of course, as being the other team in the division and in, in the conference that you're going to have to deal with. Uh, you can't have those struggles against the run against that team. All right, the rest of the afternoon action here. Let's let's go to the Jeffs, Jeff Saturday and the Colts and Matt Ryan. Maybe Jeff Saturday was worth it, bringing in Jeff Saturday, just if you can get Matt Ryan back in the lineup. Um, and as I mentioned before, the Raiders, second-worst record in the NFL now after this loss to the Indianapolis Colts. 100-yard game, second down, so there's a big hole. He's off to the races, chased by Harmon, chased by Webb. There you go. Jonathan Taylor also healthy again. Yeah. Jeff Saturday walking right in. is able to bring back Matt Ryan who had a decent game. He's able to get a healthy Jonathan Taylor. He's able to face a Raiders team, which can find any way to lose every single week. Pretty good setup there for, for Saturday in this one Uh, leads us into our number of the game, 207 rushing yards for the Colts in this one, including 147 yards on 22 carries for Jonathan Taylor, even even Matt Ryan, of all people, getting into the mix, using his legs in this one. Matt Ryan had 38 yards rushing. Which is pretty, it's pretty crazy on this one. It had a long uh had a long run in this one for a scramble that ended up being pretty meaningful, actually, because he converted two first downs also during this game. Um Good game for coaches don't matter Twitter and uh, analysis, which is kind of, I I call myself a part of this for as ridiculous as you might think the Jeff Saturday hire is we saw a lot of stuff. hemming and hawing about it. The disrespect to everyone. I kind of agree that it's pretty disrespectful. We saw Bill Cower on the pregame show saying is, you know, like the most disrespectful thing in the history of the NFL or something to that effect. Um, But what I think this highlights, and this is probably something I believed, although I'm not in an NFL locker room, I'm not, you know, behind the scenes on these games, so I don't really know what's going on. But when they talked about, like, what these coaches would do, I'm trying to think of who it was, maybe it was Chris Long, it was someone who was talking about their coach would see their kids once a week on Friday afternoon and, like, take them out for ice cream or something, and then immediately go back into the office. So – they don't see their kids. They're never at home Monday through Thursday, Friday. They're doing some sort of practicing installation coaching in the morning, see their kids once go back into the office on Friday in the office all day, Saturday, you know, they travel and then, you know, game. And then after the game, if it's a home game, they would see the kids a second time during the week, you know, get a little, a little extra, uh, two times the amount of uh, uh, time with your family there, and then go immediately back to the office on Sunday. I mean, is that really necessary? Like, really? Like, what sort of edge are we actually getting off of the 103rd hour that you're spending in the office versus the 102nd hour that you're spending in the office? I don't know. Can we just, like, hire some more people and do it well here? So in some ways, as much as I think it's kind of a – Uh, clown show uh, bringing in Jeff Saturday and all that stuff there. I'm actually for it a little bit. If it proves the point that maybe these guys don't need to be working so hard. Maybe we need to realize there are things that are outside of our control, like whether or not your running back is injured and can come back. You know, there's variance. We can't control everything. You can't diagram everything. If you spend a million hours coaching during the week, if you had infinite amount of time to prepare, you're still going to lose games when you don't have the talent and when the luck goes against you in a particular game. Maybe we can take this. Maybe we can take this away from the Jeff Saturday situation, and then coaches can live a happier, healthier lives going forward and just realize, you know, smell the roses a little bit, guys. Um, Okay. Particulars for this game. Vegas was a four point favorite, 41 total, very low total. Uh, Ends up, Going over there, 25-20, Indianapolis adjusted score 27-20. Probably the end for Derek Carr, as I mentioned earlier. They're going to be in position to get a quarterback. I think there are a handful of teams that might think we have everyone but the quarterback going forward, depending upon how things play out for the rest of the season. I know the Jets could be someone who falls into that category. Let's see, what other teams out here could be looking for a quarterback? Because we're also going to see Garoppolo maybe out there. Uh, Jared Goff, maybe another guy who's available for some teams. So, who are the teams who might say, oh, all we need is a quarterback and we can start to make the playoffs? Uh, actually, maybe there aren't that many. None of them looking around at it. I don't know. The Falcons, if they play themselves out of a quarterback pick at this draft, maybe they'll want to grab someone. Commanders, they'll probably just bring in a different quarterback again. Um, so maybe they'd be someone interested in someone like like Derek Carr in this game. I mean, the Giants, depending upon how Daniel Jones plays, I don't know. Could they be interested? They probably should be thinking about something. Uh, again, I mentioned the Jets, the Titans, if they can get out of that Tannehill contract, maybe they'll try to like downgrade the cost. Tannehill has a $35 million cap hit this year. The Saints, they're always looking to bring someone in. Um, that's another one that could potentially fall into that. So we could see some movement in the quarterback position. And Derek Carr would be right up there at the top of the list with someone who has a pretty good repu- rep- reputation. I don't think has been like awful this year or anything. It's just the team is falling apart. And Josh McDaniels, I think he's going to survive. I think he'll survive here. Although there's a chance for like a lot of first-year coaches to potentially get fired this year. Uh, I don't put him in the same category as someone like Nathaniel Hackett going forward because they can kind of sell the team on – Hey, we're going to draft a rookie quarterback. Let me develop them. Uh, a lot of bad luck this season. Maybe the, the ownership will buy that sort of angle on it. Give me another year. You know, Derek Carr is out, out the door, all that sort of stuff. I can see that playing out, playing out that way for the Raiders uh, next season. Playoff picture in this one. Um, actually, I lost my power rankings page. So the playoff picture for the Colts, they are 20% chance to make the playoffs. So, hey, still in there. Uh, maybe a bit higher if we say that Matt Ryan's going con- to continue to start because Tennessee is not exactly looking like world beaters right now at this moment. All right, let's get through the last couple, the last late game and then the Sunday night game. So first we'll go to the, ba- the backup battle between John Wolford and Colt McCoy in L.A. A more action today, so good to see him get that reception. Oh, this pass picked off. Yes, he's playing this afternoon. Buda Baker across midfield, inside the 40, down to the 30, finally tackled by Henderson at the 25-yard line. Yeah, not a good game for John Wolford coming in here uh for that brings us into our number of the game 48.8 that was the pressure rate the Cardinals defense was able to get on Wolford was able to get mistakes for that and look at the particulars of the game I don't want to spend too much time on this one since it was a backup quarterback battle uh, the Rams were still three-point favorites in this one although only a thirty-eight and a half total and uh, 27-17 Arizona Colt McCoy coming through here uh 22-19 Arizona the adjusted score so a little bit more narrow than what the actual score was on this one. I'm just going to go straight into the ramifications here rather than worry about what happened in this game because we're not going to take a whole lot from this game other than maybe the Rams' defense. You know, what's going on, guys? Colt McCoy. I mean, Colt McCoy's, like, a pretty decent backup, but still. Um, Rams down under 10% chance to make the playoffs at this point. It's looking pretty bad. For the Rams at 3-5 and five now. I mean, the Seahawks did lose. So maybe there's some chance in there. But this was kind of a fork game. Like you're going to stick a fork in whoever was going to lose this game. So I think the Rams are probably forked after this one. Cardinals were close to being forked. But we still have them at a 20% chance to make the playoffs right now. So not great, but significantly better. And at least they come through and you know, not that different. Obviously, same exact record, so not a big difference there. But probably hanging on a little bit better because they have a little bit easier schedule going forward and they have this tiebreaker, or they have this win now against uh, the Rams. But not not a whole lot to take from this game. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. And let's just go ahead and go to Sunday Night Football to round out everything here. The Chargers go down. Jimmy Garoppolo again. Jimmy G Truthers unite gets the rushing touchdown, and, you know, honestly, lets the defense do most of the work. No timeouts, 53 seconds, need a touchdown. Sideline shot, and ball is Hufunga picking it off. And run out of bounds at the 42-yard line. Yes, yes. Hufunga with the interception to end the game there, they stop the Chargers on a fourth and three inside their own 10-yard line. 15-yard line, I don't know where it was. It was pretty close up, though, before that. The defense is the story of the game. That comes to our number of the game, which is two, and that's the Chargers' offensive success rate was in the second percentile. Doesn't get much worse. 49ers' defense, starting to chug along here, starting to play along here. I mean, I know the Chargers' offense has been struggling without their receivers. Herbert's been struggling. That's a continued story that we've seen this season, but still, 49ers could have a top five defense and they could have an efficient enough offense to win this. I mean, they only win by eight points, so it doesn't look that impressive, but they had some very, very long drives in this game. And the adjusted score was a little bit wider at 22-13. I mean, nine points versus eight points, not that big of a difference here. They were seven point favorites, so seven and a half point favorites, so they, they did not come through in that regard. But I still think they just played well enough offensively to not be worried about what's going on here. I mean, Garoppolo only passed it 28 times, but he had 240 yards, so 8.6 yards per attempt. He's always the yards per attempt king. He only takes one sack, which is something that he's always really good at. Herbert graded well in this game because he made some really, really good throws, three big-time throws, but only 5.6 yards per attempt. And he also took a couple of sacks where he just normally not sacked that much, but he dropped back to pass 40 times. So that's going to happen when you drop back to pass 40 times in this one uh, good rushing attack for the 49ers Oh, okay rushing attack i mean 157 yards 41 attempts so that was probably something that lowered their ceiling offensively maybe it, it could have cost them a little bit you know let's let jimmy cook a little bit guys um but elijah mitchell was good 89 yards on 18 carries christian mccaffrey not so great at least his results here yards per carry, 38 yards on 14 attempts. Rushing touchdown, again, for Jimmy Garoppolo. Chargers didn't really try or weren't very successful running the ball either. Only 51 yards on 16 attempts. Defensively for the 49ers. um, Nine pressures for Nick Bosa. And you think about it, like, Justin Herbert gets rid of the ball faster than almost anyone. So, so quickly on this one. Uh, A sack, three hits, five hurries, again, nine total pressures. So huge game for for Nick Bosa coming through here. Khalil Mack had a couple of pressures, but, you know, the Chargers defense just not not doing enough, not doing enough there. And then we go to coverage, really good coverage game for the 49ers. Um, Fred Warner was the highest graded guy at 85 in the middle. He's always a good coverage guy. Traverius Ward. You know, Funga in there, everyone else, Jimmy Ward, everyone's playing pretty well for this team. So that starts to gel and moving forward, I think they're going to be a force to reckon with. Missed opportunity for the Chargers if they could have somehow pulled this out because they would be going to Kansas City next week with an ability to jump and take the lead in the division. Now that's looking much, much more difficult. And Kansas City has a 95% chance to win the division after this, where it would have been Pretty close between them and the Chargers. The Chargers down to 4%. Still a 42% chance to make the playoffs, though. So it's not like they have that much, that bad of a chance going forward for the Chargers. But it's really going to be about the next few weeks because Kansas City is going to be tough. Um, They're at home, though. Whatever home means for the Chargers. Uh, So Kansas City, then the Cardinals, Raiders, Dolphins, Titans. you got to win a lot of those games. You got to beat the Raiders. You got to beat the Cardinals. You got to beat the Titans. That'll give you a great chance of getting in because then you, fu- you finish the season with the Colts, who are eh, the Rams, who are eh, and the Denver Broncos, who are eh, very eh. So, l- l- pretty good schedule for the Chargers. I think they can sneak in, they get healthy. They're a team to watch as, you know, a team that could beat anyone in any week, as long as that defense can get turned around. Like, optically, it doesn't look that bad what happened in this game because they only gave up um, 22 points. But 65th, 70th percentile success rate for San Francisco in this game. Uh, Jimmy is also converting his third downs, as he's always doing, 10 of 18 on third or fourth down conversions, adding eight expected points on those ones. And, you know, they only ran the ball, they only passed the ball 42% of the time, 12% under expectation for the 49ers. So, again, that helped optically make it look like the Chargers defense maybe wasn't as bad as it actually was. For the 49ers, what they're looking at going forward, again, a team that's borderline top five-inch sort of team, I feel like, in the NFL right now. 60% chance to win the division, despite the fact that as of now, they're still behind the Seahawks. 80% chance to make the playoffs. Looking good for them. Going all in. Maybe it'll pay off for them because in the NFC, outside of the Eagles, of course, no one else is really covering themselves in glory and looks that strong this year. Season. All right, everybody, we did it all. We said it all. We got through it all. Tomorrow, late tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to do it live. I might not do it live. I think probably just going to tape it with Steve Ruiz. We're going to talk quarterbacks. We're going to talk all the controversy around Tua and this sort of stuff. Uh, looking a lot at the young quarterbacks. Which ones should we? Should teams be actively thinking about bringing in a first round pick or someone like that to at least compete with young quarterbacks? and whether some guys are done, like guys like Russell Wilson and others are done, and how we should view them in an upside-down quarterback year. Um, and he also gives opinion on guys like Herbert and others, who he's still super high on despite the fact that they have str- he's struggled this season. So we'll talk to Ruiz tomorrow. Uh, that'll be in your podcast application Wednesday morning. And then, of course, we'll have the Friday show in the morning. I'm going to try to do another mailbag so if you have any questions. Drop them in the comments here. Drop them in the... Um, Apple Podcast Reviews or hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole PF with anything that you would like me to answer on Friday. Other than that, thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and I'll talk to you in a couple days. Thanks.